Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to a discussion for the American Society of Cytopathology. My name is Natalie Benet. I am a GYN and cytopathologist, and I work at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm also a member of the American Society of Cytopathology's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome a special guest and fellow member of the DEI Committee, Dr. Glorimar Rivera. Dr. Rivera studied medicine at the San Juan Bautista School of Medicine in Caguas, Puerto Rico. She completed her residency training at the University of Puerto Rico Medical Science Campus and fellowships in cyto and gynecological pathology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. She is a pathologist at Clements University Hospital and Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas, Texas. In an effort to highlight and honor Hispanic Heritage Month, we have asked Dr. Rivera here to talk about her career, her practice of pathology, and her journey into medicine. Dr. Rivera, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Hi, Dr. Bennett, and everybody listening to us today. I am doing good, and thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, it's great to see you. Um, first, I'd like to start with your earliest experiences. So what exposure to science and medicine did you have growing up? Honestly, not that much. <laughs> I come from a humble family and grew up in the rural area in Puerto Rico. I studied in a public school, which was a good one. However, I did not have too much, um, I, didn't, I did not have the opportunity to further explore my interest. And uh, thanks to a scholarship and a family support, I entered to college. And it was not until college that I got special interest in research and medicine. And during college, I volunteered to work in some scientific projects with postgraduate students. And I became a member of the American Medical Student Association of which I was the vice president in our chapter. And as a member of the AMCA, I was aware of the activities that will help me learn more about medicine and how to get into the field. So I will say um, with the uh, participation in different volunteer activities and observation programs uh, was that um, I started uh, building my path in medicine and getting uh, more interest in the field. Mm -hmm. So it was by, by sort of uh, meeting people and seeing what they were doing and sort of modeling behavior. That's interesting. Yes. Um, so that seems like my next question was gonna be, how did you know you wanted to be a physician? I find um, very often the answer to this question has to do with knowing someone who was a physician and sort of wanting to go down that path for that reason. So were there particular people, did you have the opportunity to see physicians working as a part of the sort of, um, mentorship activities you were doing during college? Um, it was not, um, I didn't have any particular uh, role model at the time. Um, I was just through the experience learning more um, about 
the, the field. Mm -hmm. And I realized that medicine is a broad field with mm -hmm. many specialties and specialties and research um, that is constantly growing. So there is a lot to learn and explore. And there are many um, unanswered questions as well in this area. So I wanted to learn, explore, and contribute to such an important field in, um, with the goal to improve the human health and well-being. So that's more like an overall of what drives me yeah. through this field. Yeah. 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 And certainly wanting to improve human well-being is pretty, pretty <laughs> good goal. <laughs> um, so um you know, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who end up in science and medicine. And one thing I'm always interested in is the role of mentorship, which I think I've already kind of hinted at. So if you knew that you wanted to be in medicine through this more general idea of wanting to help people, once you got into medicine, um, I always find it very interesting to figure out why people become pathologists, right? Because mm -hmm. it's kind of a, and I don't know how it was in Puerto Rico, maybe it was very different, but in the United, like in the I think you should still be able to hear me, but um, in the mainland United States, it's almost hidden a lot, especially with the rearrangement of the curriculum, um, that medical students don't have a lot of exposure to pathologists, um, especially in their first few years of medical school. So um, how was it for you? What was your exposure to pathology and how did you end up here? Yes, so we we, it's very similar in Puerto Rico, like uh, is, it is in United States. The curriculum is similar. Um, there are four medical schools that are LCME accredited, and everything is very similar. We take the same test. And, um, we didn't. I didn't have uh, that exposure in pathology, like like here. It's more like by basic sciences. Mm -hmm. um, my story was actually a little bit different in terms of mentorship too. Um, when I was uh, finishing medical school, I was not sure what uh, specialty I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I did a one year internship in the oncologic hospital in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Once part of this oncology team and being a participant in the tumor board, I realized the importance of uh, the pathologies and how the pathologic, the pathologic diagnosis affects the treatment course for patients. But um, pathology became particularly important to me when my father was diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. as I was starting this internship. So it was kind of time just uh, happen everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the experience uh, and I'm having this other experience, personal experience with my, my dad. Um, and experiencing cancer diagnosis and treatment from a daughter's perspective made it vividly clear to me how critical and accurate and timely pathologic diagnosis is and looking for alternative to overcome the disease was frustrating since there were not enough. So since then, I started getting interested in pathology. That's a, that's a really personal um, angle. So um, the onco oncology 
uh, you said it, internship is the word you use. So that was after medical school, but before yes. residency? Yes. Okay. And that was in Puerto Rico? Yes. Okay. And so after you did your residency, how did you decide to do GYN and cytopathology? It's also, as you know, my two fellowships. So yeah, the best, the best combination. <laughs> I'm just like, yes. do you want to do that? Yeah. So I, um, my interest in cytopathology started in residency and when, um, well, actually I didn't know too much about cytopathology until residency um, and first year. And then um, when my dad was diagnosed, uh, it took like three biopsies or four because most of them were having necrotic tissue and were not diagnostic Uh, to do um, get an appointment uh, it was very hard in terms of time so that uh, take a lot of time for a diagnosis like three months passed just to get a diagnosis Mm -hmm. Uh, it was unsatisfactory then getting another appointment in another month to get another biopsy that was on SAT again. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I started in medical school, um, sorry, in pathology residency, um, and I saw that uh, cytology is a way to get uh, diagnostics also um, faster. And especially if there is a rapid on-site evaluation of the specimen, um, that opened more my eyes and interest, uh, increase my interest specifically to cytopathology. Um, because uh, at that time in Puerto Rico, we did not have the service of rapid on-site evaluation. Oh, okay. and, and I was very interested. Um, to me, that was something important to bring. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have the skills. It's kind of a privilege because it's also a challenging area. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's definitely so helpful in driving the management and next steps for the patients and especially in a timely way mm-hmm. so that's the main reason for yeah. cytopathology and um, so then I did the fellowship in uh, UT Southwestern and I was lucky because it was a little bit hard um, applying because of uh, language barriers too mm-hmm. <laughs> that I had to face. Uh, we don't have the fellowship in Puerto Rico, obviously. Um, I had to move to United States for a year. And um, so um, I had to try to improve my English, go to different interviews, <laughs> um, evaluate, and they evaluate me at the same time, but it was kind of a little tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I made it here at UT Southwestern. I had the opportunity and I like the program very much because they have so many cases on a variety of cases and uh, a lot of procedures. So I knew I was going to be well prepared. So after being here for a year, I went back to Puerto Rico and I practiced there in a, in a prior practice for one year. And there I had a lot of GYN uh, cases. I did cytopathology and and surgical pathology general, Mm -hmm. but there were a lot of gynecologic pathology. And then I saw that there was an opportunity 
uh, again in UT Southwestern, an open position for a GYN fellowship. And I wanted to take the um, opportunity and apply. It was just one more year and be more prepared in an area that was so, so interesting. So, mm -hmm. and then I stay here. <laughs> and you didn't go back. Yeah, we kept you. Um, I actually got married <laughs> and oh, stay here. Um, my husband yeah. is from Texas. He oh, doesn't okay. speak Spanish. So it's been fun and interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they miss you at the hospital where you were for a year. They could <laughs> snatch you back. Um, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. So, um, and now in your practice, you do both things. I assume cytopathology and gynecological yeah. pathology. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good mix. So, um, um, so you you have published research in the, in your areas of interest. So I just wondered if you could tell me, especially, um, I think it would be interesting to hear about the language issue because I mean your English is is wonderful, but I know that you know coming to a new country can be very intimidating. So, um. With with that on top of what I think everyone faces when you're trying to start publishing papers, it's, mm -hmm. it's an intimidating process. You know, if you're someone, um, it, it doesn't sound like you come from a background where probably like everyone in your family was doing that. So what was it yeah. like for you to get started in research? Was there a mentor who kind of walked you through the process? And can you talk about that just for those who might be listening, who might be interested in, in pursuing yes. that? Yeah, definitely here. The key was the mentor. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, when I started my GYN fellowship that I met my mentor and still my mentor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he has helped me a lot. Um, his name is uh, uh, Dr. Wen Shen. Mm -hmm. And I have been uh, working especially in uh, endocervical cancer mm -hmm. since I uh, did my fellowship. And um, I have been learning, improving. It has been hard, but he has been patient. <laughs> and mm -hmm. has been teaching me so many things, um, obviously, because of his experience. So mentorship is definitely a key in this um, part, like integrating research in the career. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes, um, because I, I don't know if you find this, but with trainees, you know, if you ask them, do you want to pursue a career in academics or private practice, a lot of times they'll say, well, I can't possibly do academics, and I'll say, why? And they say, well, I can't do research. And I just want to tell them, if I can do it, anyone can do it. You know, it's just like you say, you need a mentor to almost hold your hand through the process yes. of thinking of an idea, doing the, mm -hmm. the in it, and then writing the paper and submitting it. There's just so many little tricks and it's kind of like a puzzle that you have to know how to do. So um, yes. for those of you listening, um, if Dr. Rivera and I can do it, you can do it too. And uh, just reach out to someone Definitely. who's doing it and, and ask them to help you and they will help you. And then it will be okay. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, but once you get the, the skills and you have someone that is helping you, um, it's definitely worth it because you discover that you were saying like, no, I'm not going to do this because it's hard or whatever reason. But once you realize that you can do it, um even if you are slower like you see my case because of the language yeah. especially writing right. um it's gratifying at the end especially when you publish and you see your product yeah. and you you're like wow it definitely was worth it yeah. and you're learning new skills and exactly. if you have the opportunity and you have a mentor that is helping you or is there that there are the resource you need to take advantage because it's not the same for someone that don't have it. Yeah. And I think 
2022, something that we are all realizing is that if only a selected number of people are performing the research, they're the ones designing the research questions. We need more diverse voices asking yeah. questions so that we have different ideas being presented at national meetings and journals and kind of driving the discussion in different ways than I think if a select few group of people, um, maybe who all look the same and come from the same places are the ones asking those questions. So amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope people are listening. So um, yeah, so we're here specifically right now. It's September of 2022. I had to think about that. That's correct. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, because it's Hispanic Heritage Month. So um, you and I met through our work on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for the ASC. And our community has worked on areas like addressing the pipeline for diverse candidates in medicine um, and designed courses to kind of address that. I know we're working on some global initiatives as well. Also just raising the awareness of medicine as a career for underrepresented folks um, among other issues. So I thought we could talk about that a little bit. Um, so as someone who came here from a country where um, Spanish speaking country is, I, I assume Hispanic Heritage Month is not a thing in Puerto Rico, but it's a thing here. So is it something that you celebrate now that you're in the United States or is it something you're aware of around you? Because I there's a lot of Hispanic people and Hispanic speaking people in Texas. So. Yes. How is that? Uh, so, yes, I, as you say, I grew up in Puerto Rico. Uh, that was just part of me and my life. So there was not <laughs> a specific month to celebrate Hispanic heritage, more like enjoy your food, culture, music, literature, all of that, history, art, and education. Uh, but um, now that I move and I raise, raise in a family, uh, and I actually just live in here, I um, I have I feel like it's part of my um, responsibility to um, make sure to help my kids understand our culture, mm -hmm. uh, where I came from, and what being Latino means, and to keep the culture alive. And one of my main goals is to. Um, give them the opportunity to be feeling well <laughs> like don't lose that I'm, I'm gonna try always to be uh, the speaking Spanish to them here uh, their dad doesn't speak Spanish any <laughs> and they're gonna be in a school here that it's gonna be everything in English so I need to be speaking Spanish all the time to them to keep that the language yeah that's something that. very important for me yeah yeah so it's not just a month for you it sounds like it's all the time, uh, yeah. keeping your, your culture and your language alive with your children. Yeah, I can imagine yes. that's very important. And they will be so happy when they're older and they're bilingual, they'll be ready to go, <laughs> so successful for the world. Um, so uh, the sort of the topic of DEI, it's been a hot topic in the United States for the last two or three years, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done these um, interviews with people from other, you know, underrepresented groups, but as a Hispanic person in particular, what have the past few years of living in the United States felt like for you? I mean, the pandemic has made everything really weird. So if we can just get rid of that yes. for just a second, <laughs> if it's even possible, yeah. how has it felt to be um, a Hispanic person from your perspective during these times? Yeah. So, um, 
as you say, in Texas, there are many um, Hispanics. Mm -hmm. So that helped. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I came first time in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yes, I have seen some changes, definitely after 2020. <laughs> Um, uh, there is, um, during those last few years, I have seen that people are more aware, but um, still there is a need of education, more education, mm -hmm. um, and in medicine also, um, I have seen an effort to be more diverse and inclusive. So um, it's something that, uh, it's a change that I, I, I have been seeing since I came from 2014. Mm -hmm. And it's been more um, obvious since 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say as someone who's not a part of those populations, that it's something that's a regular part of conversations now, just even with things like residency training, mm -hmm. I feel like it's talked about more in meetings it's interesting yes. that you know you came here the first time eight years ago because I don't think many people were talking about it then because I was a fellow then and it doesn't seem like it was really part of the conversation now whether or yeah. not it's actually gotten better for people in these communities I can't really comment on but I can say that even people who are at the highest levels of leadership I think this is something they're trying to prioritize so yeah that's, that you you have an interesting um, perspective over those eight years um so we, we talked about, uh, you noticed the differences. So um, is there anything, uh, like, is there anything over the past few years from like being a Hispanic American that you've noticed as a change that gave you hope for um, what what's happening in America, that things are getting better? Like, do you have a specific example or anything like that? Yes, I think um, that the awareness and the interest of many groups and organizations in implementing changes and building an inclusive culture mm -hmm. um, give me hope, hope because I have been seeing it. Right. Um, there is more interest um, through this topic and awareness. Yeah. So, yes. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And do you think there's anything specific that, um, as you know, a, a medical specialty that we have more work to do in? Is there anything that you see like an area of improvement? In the medical space, I think education overall and reaching out to underserved communities. That's mm -hmm. a work in progress and yeah. it needs to be, it's been addressed in some areas, but it definitely needs more attention. Yeah. And more effort. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think um, the the course that we designed through the DEI committee where we were going, you know, everybody has different thoughts about this, like when you should start. But I think we were starting in like the middle school to high school age range. And I think that's a good range because like you were talking about, you sort of came upon these, you know, medical students in this organization that you had in undergrad. And, and you, you must wonder to yourself, if you hadn't known those people, would you be a doctor today? Would you would you have chosen something else? I mean, you're yes. intelligent, you would be doing something, but um, so it's like if, if nobody ever models the behavior for someone at that particular time, then yeah. we're just gonna keep getting doctors from the same groups that we've been getting them from. So 
I agree. It's like if there were just more hours in the day or if we could clone ourselves, that would be nice, right? So one of me could just go do that all the time. But um, but certainly yeah. when I hear stories like yours, it makes me want to keep trying, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's definitely an important point that you just touched mm -hmm. about um, the opportunity of these organizations to uh, reach out to um, underserved communities or minority students, because uh, many of them don't have the role model, um, like in my case, or uh, a person that guide you and orient you. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they have to, like if they have the interest, uh, they have to go and search themselves, but not necessarily successful. And much better if you have someone that helped you doing that. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in medical school, I had a, an opportunity in a Latino visitor program. And uh, it was the His Hispanic Serving Health Professional School mm. uh, with the Jocelyn Diabetes Center in Boston. Uh, okay. So I, I didn't, that was another thing. My language was a barrier, but I saw it like an opportunity because um, I, I was able to have a conversation and everything. It was just a little bit more difficult, but I will be working with a Hispanic population and I will be doing research and I will be doing something in medicine. Uh -huh. So that was an opportunity for medical students and I took advantage. Mm -hmm. um, it was a great experience because it was, a, um, it allowed me to integrate patient care, community outreach and clinical research. Uh -huh. And they used to select only two students uh, in the nation and I had the opportunity to be one of them uh -huh. uh, that year. And I think that helped me a lot to realize that the barriers, there are no barriers. You just put your barriers in your way mm -hmm. because you can have, um, there can be things that are more difficult from others, um, different stories. People have different story, stories and things that uh, just need your motivation, your interest and just try it and yeah. do it. And if it's not the best, it doesn't matter because you learn from the experience right. and it's going to make you better. And next time there's going to be another opportunity. And that's the way to see the things. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I find like having that opportunity was like, Oh wait, I am not uh, the best with my English, but I had the opportunity and I managed to finish this um, program and learn so much and get so much experience and, and, just motivation also, yeah. which is a key yeah. point. Next. Yeah, and you you also sound very brave um, if you volunteer to do that when you were not sure about your language skills. I will say, uh, we were talking about this before, but you know, as someone who studied Spanish, nothing made me want to study harder than when I would go into a situation thinking I could speak and then I really could not. And then I would yeah. work a lot harder on it, you know? Exactly. So I'm sure when you went home after that experience, you really hit the books. So that was probably exactly. in some ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's a really good point. And I think um, hopefully people are, are making, you know, being very intentional, which can be hard. I think of intentionality as something um, where you just keep bringing something to the front of your mind, even though you're busy. I mean, you and I are both working full-time jobs, but if, if organizations like the ASD can create opportunities yes. that are formal, that have, you know, application cycles, so you know it's going to happen, um, 
that's yes. I think that's a, that's a really important point to make that you have to be intentional and create these opportunities for folks and then um you know people like you and I can be mentors and just kind of show people what we're doing which is definitely maybe the most important part right just kind of demonstrate yes possible so, yeah <laughs> totally agree yeah but yeah yeah so did you have anything else you wanted to say um in closing or um as we finish up here well, um, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to talk a little bit about me and my experience and my path through this field. And yeah, it, it was a pleasure. Yeah. And since you're, uh, you were talking about Puerto Rican culture, is there anything like, um, like, like one or two things about Puerto Rican culture, maybe just like food or something that you would want us to all know since it is Hispanic Heritage Month? Like sure, the, there is so are, much. Something that you have, like that you feel like your kids know about that I don't know about because they're being raised by a Puerto Rican mom. Maybe. So, in terms of cold uh, food, mm -hmm. um, something special there is the mofongo. <laughs> it's Mo called the mofongo. It's uh -huh. a uh, plantain plate that is fried and is stuffed with. I uh, like, well, it can be stuffed with different. Uh, type of uh, protein it could be meat or chicken but I love with trims uh, especially in the areas of the coast in Puerto Rico and getting a mofongo by the beach with some shrimps there <laughs> that's amazing so I so miss it's, it it's like a plantain with shrimp and do they fry it or something the plantains are fried and then oh. the shrimps can be prepared in different ways oh. and then the plantain is like um it's fried then mashed and then inside they put the shrimps right. okay yeah. okay that sounds so it's, it's really good so if you're uh, down, you can look and see if you can find some Puerto Rican I haven't found a good one here yet. So I'm sure there is just not the Texas. same. <laughs> and my dad was a farmer, so he used to grow uh, good plantains, big ones, and so fresh, so good. So it's kind of a little, my expectations are too high. <laughs> They're really high, but In probably terms. just smelling them or eating them, even if it's yeah. not exactly the same, it makes you feel like home a little bit, right? Maybe yes. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's nice. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today. Um, and thank you for talking with us. And I think that's all we have. Thanks. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org.